Well, like I said, last week we spent with our students at camp, and that was an exciting time. And there, in case you didn't know, some of you might have not known, that whole week was set apart to teaching our students at the youth camp about how to spend their lives worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Well, that got me to thinking as I was down there and as I preached down there as well and heard the other men, some of them speak, I was thinking about all that these students were learning and, and I was driven to uh, examine my own heart as I heard and watched what took place there. It caused me to examine my heart to see if I was truly taking to heart the very theme that we were holding forth of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And, and through my own self-examination, the Lord brought me back to Philippians this morning. Brought me back to Philippians. And there's a text in particular that I want to share with you there. And I pray that it will help us to all stop and ask ourselves if we're able to make and dedicate our lives to the same worshipful confession that the Apostle Paul makes in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 19 down to 26. And let me read that to you. The Apostle Paul writes this from prison. Keep in mind. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. But with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far, or is more rather, necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, the particular passage that stood out to me as I was examining my heart this week was verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. These words are heavy words. They're weighty words when you think about it because of the context in which it's coming to us from. Paul's heart is overflowing with praise to serve God in whatever condition he finds himself in. And in particular, now in prison, continuing on to suffer for the name of Christ. For him to live is Christ, wherever he is, whatever he's doing, and to die is obviously gain. But when I, when I read this, when I read that verse in particular, it causes me to ask myself some really hard questions. I'm going to ask them of you as well. The first question that comes to my mind is, can I make that same confession with that same conviction that Paul does here? Am I really willing to abandon my life as Paul did for the sake of Jesus' name? That's what he's saying when he says, for to me to live is Christ. Well, where's he living? He's living in suffering. He's living in prison. He's being persecuted for Christ's sake. So can I make that confession the same as he with the same kind of conviction and no matter what condition I'm actually in? Second question that comes to my mind is this. What cultivated Paul's dedication to worshiping Jesus in this manner? Church, I ask that because the Apostle Paul, from his conversion onward, he seems seemingly, from all 
outward perspective, he seems to recklessly abandon everything in his life for the sake of exalting Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. In Romans 12, turn there with me. We see something that echoes his own confession here in this prison. And he's giving us this to to teach us really what it is to worship God in the way in which he is himself worshiping the Lord in the midst of suffering. We, we hear him teach what he is actually living out in Philippians here in verse 1 of Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, an offering, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or maybe better, which is your reasonable Rational, your only rational way to serve Jesus is to give yourself fully to glorifying and exalting his name to live as Christ. That's what he's saying. He says this, saints, that that very small phrase in Philippians 121, he says to live as Christ. And he says that as the very mission of his life, his very reason for his existence. What he lives to do is to live for Jesus's praise. And if that meant prison, so be it. Glorify him wherever you are. Live for Christ. And he does this. This is his mission in life because he longed, as he said here in Romans 12, 1, to be a living sacrifice of praise to Christ, his Savior. That is the desire and the drive of the Christian's heart when we are born again. That's what cultivates worship. Your life is to be a living sacrifice of praise to Jesus in whatever condition you find yourself in. And I believe that Paul, if you will, recklessly abandons everything, everything that the world deems safe and comforting. He he recklessly abandons in order to proclaim this message in its fullness, to, to reveal the truth about Jesus. And how do I know that? How do I come to that conclusion? Well, where does he go in his mission, in his ministry, in his life? He doesn't go to a comfortable place. He doesn't go to a place that he's familiar with even. He goes to a hostile Gentile world. And he does that because he wants Christ's life and Christ's love to be magnified through his own. He is compelled by the love of Christ and empowered by his spirit, he says, to forsake all Forsake safety and comfort and prestige, all for the sake of the joy of honoring his Lord. Saints, understand something about being a living sacrifice. If it is not driven by the joy of honoring Christ, it's likely a legalistic pursuit. Joy must drive sacrifice. The joy of knowing Christ and him crucified should drive worship throughout our lives. Paul went to a place, a region, that would not be easy to be a living sacrifice. They pursued him. They hated him. They despised his words. He went to cities that were full of pantheistic pagans. What did he do there? Romans tells us what he does. He's compelled there to declare that there's only one true and living God. And all men must bow to him alone. That's what Romans 1 is talking about. And then he goes further and he tells these people, he proclaims to them that if you don't bow, God's wrath will fall on you because you suppress the truth in unrighteousness for the sake of continuing in sin, those sinful lusts, those sinful desires of the flesh. Now, we all admire Paul for his boldness here, but you have to put yourself in his sandals for just a minute. This was not a popular thing to proclaim. 
He's risking his life for Christ. You know why he could do that? Because he'd already died with Christ and been raised to newness of life. His life was buried with Christ at the cross. And now he was going to live his life for the glory of his Savior. But when the world sees Christians doing what Paul does here, what does the world say about us? That's reckless. They would say that Paul's message was a reckless message. It seemed foolish to those who heard it and didn't believe. It seems foolish to people today who hear it and do not believe. That we would risk everything to exalt Jesus, even our reputation, even our comfort for the sake of magnifying Christ. But Paul, like all Christians, Paul wanted to follow his Lord's command. He wanted to proclaim his message, his glorious work, so that he could honor his Savior and Lord. He wanted to go out and do that so that Christ would rise up and work in his heart and his life and that many disciples would come to know Christ, no matter what it cost him personally. And Paul's commission that he was given, don't think post-conversion commission, think conversion commission. He received a post-conversion commission that called him to be an apostle. But in his general commission, his regeneration, he was called to be a true disciple of Christ. We all know what that great commission was. Let's read it anyway, though. Let's go there to Matthew, Matthew 28. I think it's important that we read this because this applies to Paul and what drove him into the world to live as a sacrifice for Christ in his work and his labors and do it with joy. In verse 18, Matthew writes, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Don't you think that was a comfort to Paul? You're given a a great commission to go to the nations, hence Gentiles, people who don't like you. But Jesus says, don't worry, I'm with you and I have all authority with me, so you'll be okay. Go, therefore, go. That's what drove Paul. Paul had a love for his Savior that drove him out of joy for what he's done to save him to go and fulfill this great commission. And saints, if you're a Christian, you have the very same thing hanging over your life. What a joy. You have been commissioned by Christ to make disciples. Go out and proclaim the good news about what Christ has done to save you. But why? That's an act of worship, but why? So that Christ would be exalted. Listen, sometimes people will not hear us and believe. That's going to happen. And it happens a lot. But Christ is raised up. Christ is exalted. Your Savior is magnified through your joyful efforts of worship as you proclaim this message of greatness and grace that we find in Christ, our treasure. Listen, when you proclaim the gospel, what you need to understand is that is your greatest means of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It's his spirit working in you through the truth revealed about Jesus in the gospel. And you are now declaring it from the housetops, declaring it through your sacrifices, declaring it through your time of evangelism with people. You're proclaiming him. We're to do that as Christians. It's not an option. It's your reasonable act of service. It's worship, spiritual worship. We're to do that to proclaim the glory of God. 
God is most glorified in the work of his son. He sent him forth to do a work to redeem us, to magnify his greatness and his supremacy over sin and all that Satan can throw at us. But it's not just to proclaim the glory of God that he sends us. And this is why it's going to take sacrifice. He sends us for the good of the lost. Opposition comes with going to the lost. We will have to die to a lot of things to go to the lost as Paul went to the lost joyfully and willingly as a sacrifice of praise. We are to proclaim God's gospel for the glory of God, the good of the lost. And we are to do it no matter what our culture says or even threatens to do to us, especially this month. We're to do this all out of joy, out of joy, because we have been redeemed. Your life has been brought back. You have new life in Christ, true life in Christ. Now you can actually enjoy what God has given you in this world. You can testify that I have a savior who has redeemed me from all that this world wants to lie and deceive me about. We're called to do that. We're called to worship God in the wholeness of our life. How do we do that? By dedicating our lives to exalting Jesus, just as the apostle Paul did as a Christian, as a disciple of Christ. Listen, church, Paul's sacrificial life of praise is given to us as a testimony to encourage us to be like Paul in this sense, to recklessly follow Christ as Lord and obey his calling on our lives out of the love of his praise. We want Jesus to be magnified. That is the Christian's hunger and thirst in coming to the truth. We want everyone to know, and Jesus is worthy of all of our efforts in it. And I know we all feel that way as Christians, But we all have to be honest here this morning. We all profess to follow Jesus as our Lord. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do our lives truly reflect the kind of self-abandonment for Christ's sake that we see in the Apostle Paul? And listen, I'm going to take away an argument in a minute. Well, Paul was Paul was an apostle. That's why he did all these extravagant, extraordinary things. Saints, no. He did do extraordinary things as an apostle, but this wasn't necessarily one of them. He is simply being a Christian man, a living sacrifice of praise to his God in all his pursuits of sacrifice. Ask yourself this, is is your pursuit of obedience to Christ and praise for his name, is is it worth the reckless abandonment of your own comforts, of your own security, and of your own prestige? I'm using that word reckless intentionally this morning. I I use it because it's a strong term, and it's the term that the world will put upon any Christian who takes seriously the gospel and the commission given to us by Christ. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines reckless as an action that is careless of consequences. Careless of consequences. And the reason I chose this term is because when, when we take our calling as Christians seriously, our calling that God has put upon our life to live for his praise, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we encounter, we take that seriously. It will look reckless to the world around us. But here's what I have to tell you this morning. It is not careless to give your life to honoring Christ. Even if you lose everything that this world offers, you'll never lose Christ. He'll be with you always to the end of the age. 
in the Apostle Paul's mind, I think we need to grasp this. In, in his mind, here's what he understood. He, he understood that Christ's exaltation was worth the total abandonment of his life. He believed that. He lived that. This is what it looks like to live for Christ. And again, like I said earlier, don't, don't try to excuse Paul's words in Philippians or in Romans 12.1 as some kind of a extraordinary abandonment that he's talking about, extraordinary sacrifice he's talking about, because it's part of his apostolic calling. That's not the case at all, because we see this kind of living sacrifice and desire to live for Christ replicated over and over and over again through the centuries. Let me give you an example of one such man who testified to this kind of reckless abandonment. And he's just an average man. He wasn't some great theologian. He actually was a seminary student who got kicked out for bad behavior. Okay, But this man went on to do something that I think testified to Paul's confession in Philippians 1. And so I'm telling you this because this man's testimony and Paul's testimony should not be the rare occasion. It's not a rare sentiment of the Apostle Paul that we're reading in Philippians 1.21. It's rather the heart's cry of all those who desire to magnify Christ's great worth and honor him with their lives. That man that I'm talking about this morning, I want to illustrate this to you through, is David Brainerd. Some of you know who he is. I won't go into all the details of David's life, but David Brainerd, who was uh, closely associated with Jonathan Edwards, like I said, he was just basically, though, a average Christian man. He was an average believer. But here's what happened with David when he was born again. He spent his entire remaining life laboring for Christ in a place that no one else wanted to go. To live as Christ, he thought. He was right. David dedicated a very short life that he had left to reaching out to Native Americans in the 1700s. And he went into this endeavor around the age of 25 years old. So age isn't a limit on how you become a living sacrifice. This man gave his life at 25 to magnifying Christ. He went on in his young life laboring there among these Indians, and he did so selflessly. No one at the seminary was praising him. No one was sending him a postcard saying, boy." Nobody did that. They kicked him out, remember? By God's providence, because they kicked him out, he ended up going to Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards says, consider the missionary need to the Native Americans. So what's he do? He goes there. And here's what happens to him there. I mean, listen, these, these uh, people groups that he was going to, these weren't exactly welcoming people groups. Not for some guy for telling them some message they'd never heard. But he went in there in, in, in spite of the physical danger. And when he got there at 25 years old, he got there in the worst possible time imaginable in the winter. It was extremely cold and he suffered from tuberculosis, which made it only worse in that environment. And that tuberculosis brought that 25 year old to meet his savior face to face at 29 years old. He had four years to live for Christ. Listen to what he wrote in his missionary journal in 1743. He wrote this. He says, here am I. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service to promote thy kingdom. A few days later, he got up and he wrote this. 
This morning, about nine, I withdrew to the woods for prayer. I was in such anguish that when I arose from my knees, I felt extremely weak and overcome. He's talking about his tuberculosis. But then he says this, I cared not how or where I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life to God's glory. Church, the world at that time, hearing about David's short life and his testimony of going to a pagan people to proclaim a foreign message, they would have considered that reckless. They would have thought that he wasted his young life in this pursuit, but not Christ. Christ was magnified through this. Through the abandonment of his short life, here's what happened. The first few years, it was frustrating. He had an interpreter, an Indian interpreter, who was a drunk, was not born again. That, that can make for confusing interpretations of your sermons, okay? And uh, didn't go so well. But over and over and over again, that man had to hear David preach, and the Lord converted him, and a revival took place. Many Native Americans were born again. They come to know Jesus because of David's sacrifice. Now, David's testimony doesn't stop there. David's testimony echoes on through history. Beyond what happened there in this area of the world, David's journal was then used by God to encourage hundreds of of other missionaries to reach the lost through David's sacrifice. You guys ever heard of a man named Henry Martin? He served in India in the 18th century because he read David's journal. William Carey, he served in India as well in the 18th century because of this journal. Adoniram Judson, he served in Burma in the 19th century because of this journal. Jim Elliot, I think we probably all have heard of Jim Elliot. He served and was martyred, speared to death to the very people he went to with the gospel in Ecuador in the 20th century because he was willing to be a living sacrifice because he saw the glory of Christ in David's service. Listen, I think we all probably know bits and pieces of David or Jim Elias, rather, his testimony. But he, he's going to a tribe that had never heard the gospel For the first time, they hear it from him. And the very people who hear it from him are actually going to then kill him. They kill him. He died trying to tell them about Jesus. He didn't even get very far in that process. He actually landed on the beach, began a conversation. These tribal men came out and killed him, speared him, before he could ever see the fruit of his labor. But his sacrifice for Christ was not wasted. We know that his wife and others went back into that tribal area and they proclaimed Christ. And even one of the men who had killed these other missionaries came to know Jesus Christ. That effort was not wasted. That living sacrifice, that short life that he lived, it was not wasted. I think that Paul's words in Philippians 1, 21, to live as Christ and die as gain. I think they're embodied in the words and the life of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliott said this, he said, Oh, the fullness, pleasure, and sheer excitement of knowing God on earth, to live is Christ. He went on to say this just before his death. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To die is gain. Church, I need need reminders like Brainerd and Martin and Carey and Judson and Elliott. I need these reminders. I need Paul's testimony. 
Because there are times in our Christian walk we become complacent. We grow cold. We lose our first love. These testimonies help revive that. Help us to see that Jesus is worthy of every sacrifice of praise we can offer him through our lives. We are his disciples. We're to be learning to magnify our Savior who sacrificed himself on our behalf. We are to worship God through that living sacrifice of praise, of giving our life for the exaltation of Jesus. I need that reminder. I need the testimony of Paul and these other guys. I need that to remind me that the abandonment of my life, my goals, my desires, my hopes even at times, is it's, it's abandoning those things, though, that gives me greater insight to my true calling, what I'm really intended to do by God. This is part of what God called us to do so that we could honor him as his redeemed ambassadors. We have to die to self so that Christ is raised up in its place. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he, Christ, might increase. I believe the reason that Paul was willing to do that, I believe the reason he was willing to recklessly abandon his life and his dreams and his comforts and his personal safety even for for Jesus and to edify the saints and evangelize the lost, I believe this because there was a great joy he had in his heart knowing that he And his life was hidden in Christ, his Lord. He is now an ambassador of the king. What a a glorious title given to us by God's grace. What are you willing to sacrifice to make much of Jesus? Paul sacrificed everything. He wasn't extraordinary. He was a disciple of Christ. He loved to worship God with every part of his being. So in light of his testimony and even our calling, let me ask you another question this morning. What are you willing to recklessly abandon in order to exalt Christ as Lord and offer your lives as a living sacrifice of his praise? Are you willing to abandon your pride, your status, your comfort, your friends, your money, your family, prestige, even your physical life? Are you willing to part with those things so that you might be able to exalt Christ more? Can you truly say with Paul, to live is Christ? Is that the mission of your life? I believe we all want to say that with the same conviction of Paul. But here's what I know. The wanting is there. Sometimes the doing is not. Sometimes the flesh And the devil's influence whispers to us. And what's it say? You better tame your spiritual zeal. That's too much. People are going to think you're strange. People are going to ignore you. It whispers to us to to guard our personal reputation, our status. It it whispers to, to us to even compromise our convictions for the sake of personal comfort. Shave off the edges a little bit. You don't want to be seen as one of those kind of Christians. Yes, I do. God, forgive me when I don't. So how do we fight these temptations, these constant temptations of our flesh? Well, I I think we we do that by, first of all, (laughs) rejecting the whispers of the flesh and the world. And second of all, start listening to the words of Christ. Look what he says to us about this in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother More than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To live is Christ. I think about, and we we tease the students about this at camp some you know, to live is TikTok. Well, you adults, to live is Facebook, right? To live is absorbing all that the news can offer you. To live is to find prosperity. To live is find love. That is not what you're called to live for. In Matthew 10, Jesus is saying this. He's promising us true life if we lose our lives for his sake. He's saying, look, you may lose many things in this world, but I'm worth it. I am worth it. And sinners need to hear about my love and sacrifice and grace through your worshipful sacrifice of praise, your witness. I think that we would all say yes and amen to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 10. I did that last week as we were at camp. I'm like, yeah. That's a great topic. That's a great point. That's a great thing to think about regarding worship. But if we're really honest with ourselves, and God already knows our hearts, we know that this kind of self-abandonment for Christ's sake goes against our flesh. It goes against everything about who we are as human sinners. Our inclinations of self-preservation rise up at times like this. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome the power of fear, that is, the fear of man, How do we overcome our love of comfort, self-protection? What drove Paul to overcome these things? How did Paul find himself recklessly abandoning his life for Christ's sake and overcoming his fleshly temptations? Paul tells us in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, and here's what I'm wanting to get across to you this morning. You cannot overcome these things in your own strength. You cannot overcome these things simply by doing spiritual disciplines, becoming legalistic in your pursuit of obedience. You can only overcome these fears and these temptations by looking to Christ. To live is Christ. What drives you to die for Christ, to self, to sin, to selfishness? It's by dwelling on Christ. Here's what Help Paul in that process, beginning there in verse 20 of chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Saints, that's how we overcome the temptations of our flesh to reserve and protect ourselves from sacrifice that will cost us dearly in this life. Your life has been hidden in Christ. He has now saved you. He has given you eternal life in him. Why? So that you can make much of him in your life. And I've said this statement before, but I'm going to say this again. The only reason you're here after you're converted is to elevate and exalt and proclaim the glorious grace and goodness found in Jesus Christ. 
That's why you still exist and haven't been taken immediately into heaven. Are we really convinced of that? Am I convinced of that? Is my life reflecting that? Paul's life sure did. And I believe that Paul joyfully abandoned all the things in his life that would make it easy and comfortable and safe. He abandoned all those because he was so focused on the Lord Jesus Christ's own abandonment of his life for our sake, he couldn't help it. He couldn't help but rejoice to be able to magnify Christ's sacrifice through his life. Look at Philippians again. Philippians 2, we see that here. In the very words that follow to live as Christ a little further down, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3. This is where the command is driven from. It's driven from knowing that Christ has already accomplished our redemption. He has sacrificed himself to redeem us, to make us living sacrifices for his praise. He says, therefore, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a doulos, a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a command given in this text. Humble yourself. Why? Look what Christ did. That's what's driving the heart. We want to magnify Christ in our humility and our service. Listen, saints, all of God's commands regarding worship find their yes and amen in Christ. The reason we do it. What drives it is because of what Christ has done to redeem us and make us his ambassadors. And dwelling on Christ is what cultivates true sacrificial acts of worship in us. Because the more we focus on his abandonment of his glorious life for our sake, the more we want to go out and do that ourselves for the praise of his name. And when you abandon yourself for the sake of Christ, here's what you're going to find. This comes from an old hymn. You're going to find that the cares of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Puts everything in perspective when you see it through Christ. But when you take your eyes off of Christ, your first love will grow cold and you will grow weary in doing well. But when your spiritual eyes are fixed on Christ and his glorious grace, you will see losing your life for the sake of exalting his name And reaching the lost as gain. That's what you'll see. You'll see that the loss of all things in this world for the sake of reaching the lost to proclaim the goodness of Christ. That's gain. You lost nothing. You gained Christ's praise. Even if you have to suffer like Paul did. Paul was beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and martyred. I mean, Paul obviously lost much in this life. Listen to this. 
in all that loss, all that loss that he experienced, here's what he found. He found an eternal treasure, an eternal treasure. Here's why he finds an eternal treasure in his loss. His losses caused him to fix his eyes on Jesus. That was his greatest gain in this world. You know what his greatest gain truly was? He tells us in Philippians 3, is knowing Christ his Lord and making him known through his own life. Philippians 3 says this in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as manure. That's the word. In order that I may gain Christ. Worthless. These things of the world, worthless. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's an interesting passage. I count everything as loss for knowing Christ. And what my greatest desire is, is to to know him and the power of his resurrection. Saints, you know what that means? It means the, the outward display of his new life in Christ. That's what he wants. He wants to know Jesus and he wants to magnify Jesus. He wants that resurrection life to flow through him so that Christ is exalted by his sacrifice and love and labor for the sake of his name. That's the power of the resurrection at work in us now and in the future with the resurrected bodies. He wanted that because his eyes were transfixed on Jesus. And when we find our eyes fixed on Christ like that, here's what we'll know. We'll know for sure that our true treasure in this life is visible to our dusty eyes if we look to Christ. Our true treasure is seen even though this discouraging world is full of dust and debris that blocks us at times from seeing what our great treasure is. And when we see who he is and what he's done for us and what we're called into, we'll stop seeing comfort as our greatest treasure in life. And we'll start seeing the treasure of Christ being praised as our greatest comfort now and for eternity. That's the Christian's goal in all things, to live as Christ. And saints, I truly believe that our first love for Christ and his name being praised will be reignited by this. If we focus our minds and our hearts on who he is and what he's done, even when he abandoned his own life to call us, he didn't call us just to go to heaven. He called us to be proclaimers of his glory on earth until he calls us home. That's what drove and cultivated Paul's convictions and his acts of sacrificial service. You have the same spirit of Christ in you. This can be true of you. And I pray that it is. I pray that this truth will drive you to joyfully abandon your life for the sake of Christ's praise. Even if, like Paul, you have to face self-sacrifice, suffering, and hardship in this life. If you want to truly honor Christ, all of that is worth it. You're going to stand before your king one day. You think you're going to worry about what you lost in this life? No way. You'll be forever transfixed on Christ in glory. We should be fixed on him now on the earth. That's what I want. That's what I pray for. And I pray that because 
the worthiness of Jesus' life and his love, when we do that, it's going to be made evident in our lives. And he will be praised eternally and even here temporarily. One of the things that came to my mind as I was thinking about this, and thinking, I wonder if Paul, the apostle, could, if he had like a, a, a do-over, a mulligan, right? If he could go back and do it all again, would he do, the, do it again? Would it be the same way? Would he, would he willingly listen to the words of Christ at his conversion and go on into these pantheistic pagans and proclaim this self-sacrificing act of love and service to Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know why? Jesus is worthy of 10 million lifetimes of reckless abandonment. He is worthy. So let's pray that that takes root in our hearts. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit's power will help us to, to understand that, to fix our eyes on Christ and drive us to joyfully seek to become living sacrifices for his praise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your glorious work. We thank you for the way you've redeemed us through the work of your Son. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for empowering us to make much of Jesus, to testify to who he is and what he is worthy of now and forever. I pray that you'd help us to bow our hearts today in humble submission to your revelation and that we would submit our lives joyfully to the pursuit of living for Christ now and always. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.